everyone. Thanks for joining us for KB Talks powered by the NKBA, the only podcast dedicated to sharing the latest kitchen and bath industry insights, providing you with the education and connections to help grow and support your business. I'm your host, Jennifer Bertrand. Over the course of the past few months, across the world, people have been spending more time in their homes than ever before. This has led to a number of needs emerging in the kitchen and bath industry. With new design concepts coming to the forefront, design editor for Tree Hugger and adjunct professor of sustainable design at Ryerson School of Interior Design, Lloyd Alter joins KB Talks to discuss the inevitable transformation that has ensued. Lloyd will share his deep knowledge and insight on where home design is headed and how designers, architects, and remodelers should be adapting to meet their clients' needs to design resilient homes. Before we get started, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Are you a home repair or improvement pro looking to grow your business? Home Advisor can help. Here's how it works. Home Advisor matches homeowners looking for help with their projects with the best local pros in the area who can do the job. That means your business gets connected to new customers quickly and easily. Get started now and Home Advisor will help you find your next job. And be sure to ask if you are eligible for a limited time $100 credit when you sign up. Go to homeadvisor.com slash NKBA offer. Again, that's homeadvisor.com slash NKBA offer. Okay, let's get started. We are excited to welcome Lloyd Alter, design editor for Tree Hugger and adjunct professor of sustainable design at Ryerson School of Interior Design in Toronto, Canada. Thanks for joining us, Lloyd. Why don't you start by sharing a bit about your background and career in the design industry? Well, thanks for having me. I actually started out as an architect and had an architectural practice, but I really wasn't very good at it. And so I decided to become a real estate developer where I could basically hire the best architects in town and did some really nice projects. But a little bit before it Really, like 25 years too early, I decided this real estate business isn't going to keep going like this. And I got really interested in prefabricated housing and got into the business of trying to do small, modern prefabricated houses. And nobody was buying them at the time. So I started writing to fill the time and blogging. And before I knew it, I was writing full time. And some professors had me speak at Ryerson once and liked what I said and hired me. So that's how I became a professor teaching sustainable design. Well, that's amazing. And honestly, we're going through a time where everyone's rethinking and reevaluating what's important in a home. And you've had a long career, so I'm sure you've seen it evolve. But now more than ever, what design lessons has the pandemic brought to the forefront? I think the pandemic is really going to cause some permanent changes in the way we think about design to the same level that the flu and tuberculosis caused major changes in the way we live 100 years ago. One of the things that happened then and that I think is going to happen now is that basically 
everything got redesigned for cleanliness and ease of cleaning. So where the Victorians had big overstuffed furniture and cluttered rooms and stuff everywhere, suddenly you got modernism where people were getting rid of all of the stuff. They were bringing in big windows. They were replanning cities to have more fresh air and more light and natural light because they didn't have antibiotics then. They didn't have anything to actually kill the disease other than cleanliness. And that's the situation that we're in right now. We don't have anything to treat this, but we do know that it can be killed by alcohol, it can be killed by bleach, and it can be killed by fresh air. So that's uh, where we're learning again the lessons from 100 years ago. Designed for cleanliness, we need better mechanical systems and better ventilation, better air filtering, and better humidity control. And you get better humidity by building better buildings that you don't get condensation on the windows or the walls. Do you think that some materials, like I think before the concept of like low low VOC paints and and things that were eco-friendly before, but now mean something more than ever. But if you look at materials that apply to that concept of being cleaner materials or able to not absorb life or whatever, are there any kind of materials where you're like, Jen, I'm excited to talk about this, or this is something new that we haven't seen yet? Are there any materials that are coming to the forefront um, now that the pandemic's hit? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the way of materials that we actually pick in our homes. Uh, there are traditional materials like cork and linoleum that actually have antibacterial properties built right into them, like a lot of natural materials do. So, you know, I think those old materials are in some ways better than the new materials. Um, there's been some talk, oh, we'll bring out materials that have antimicrobial chemicals built into them. But the experts on that tell me, no, they don't work that well. And those chemicals aren't very good for people either. So what I like to see more of is the easily washable uh, materials. I I met a person who was from the Middle East. And in the Middle East, all the floors are sort of terrazzo tiles. And when people want to wash the floor, they dump dump a bucket of water on it and go at it with a mop. And this person came here and said, wood floors? You can't dump a bucket of water on your floor. How do you actually keep this clean? And having maple floors throughout my entire house, I was a bit embarrassed, but they're absolutely right. You know, we vacuum, but we don't really wash the way you can with a sort of surface like a a concrete floor or a tile floor. Um, Traditionally, in a lot of houses in the South in particular, the walls were made of wood. There were cypress and things like that, which in fact are naturally antimicrobial and they're easy to wash. Instead, we switched to drywall, which if the smell of water disintegrates, which if it gets cold is perfect food for mold and is really one of the most terrible materials that I can actually think of, of covering a wall. So um, I think people are going to be looking at materials differently and both at the traditional ones and new ones. I think you bring up a lot of great points. And we've seen how 
residential design has started going towards a commercial mindset. That started happening a couple years ago with the whole concept of resimercial. However, now I think more than ever, it's almost like a commercial application in terms of those cleaning factors and durability in them. Um, and don't you think, Lloyd, like it was when those concepts of the toe opening back latch of a car, when they came out, people I'm sure were like, I, I can use my hands, I can open it, but now more than ever, you realize, you know, it's nice to have toe open and push to open things as we go through and do it. What are some of the materials, like if you're, you're talking to kitchen and bath designers and showrooms that if you're like, if you can just approach these small changes, these one to two things, like I like your concept of the floors being something that you can easily clean that won't absorb um, germs and whatnot, what other factors would you say, hey, keep these in mind? Well, just as you said, there was sort of what that, I loved that word I'd never heard before, that combination of residential and commercial that you used. Um, I think that we're going to be looking at that in kitchens and baths again. You know, bathrooms, when I go to the shows and when I look at the advertisements, they're always sort of someone with candles and treating the bath as a spa, a place to relax. But the bathroom historically and now is not where you go to relax. It's where you go to get clean. And I think that we have to get much more serious about looking at it as a functional, more, use your word, more commercial-like in the way that it's actually designed, so that all of the finishes should be picked to be really easy to clean. I like that wonderful new Italian tile that comes in those four-by-eight sheets almost, so that there's no grout. Um, the uh, toilets should be in a separate enclosure. They should be in their own little room like they often are in Europe, because when you flush a toilet, the coliform bacteria out of that toilet, and I'm sure if you're pooping out any coronavirus, can go almost six to eight feet away when you flush the toilet and if you don't close the lid. I think that we need a lot more hands-free stuff in the bathroom from toilet lids that open themselves to bidet attachments on every toilet to hands-free taps in the sink when you wash your hands. Um, so I think the fixtures are going to change. I think the plan is going to change where different spaces serve different functions. I just recently saw the plan of a house by an architect for his own house, and he only had one bathroom for the family instead of the almost traditional God-given two bathrooms. And he had the tub in one room so that you could sit and have your relaxing tub and look out the window in the spa-like environment. He had the sinks in the middle, and he had the toilet and the shower each in their separate enclosures so that it got a lot more space, but everything was separate, and a few people could use it at once instead of everybody having their own separate room. I definitely agree that the hands-free is the way to go as things are evolving. Now, okay, so Lloyd, let's talk for a second about the psych psychological impact of the pandemic meets the design world. Any advice for just kind of that concept on how to approach these kind of concepts with clients who maybe, you know, might be resistant or not realize how it will improve the way they live or perhaps are overwhelmed by what they're going through? Well, that's a really interesting issue. I think the first thing you have to do is you have to make coming into the house 
coming into the home feel like a really good transition. Um, if you look at a lot of suburban houses that they have these elaborate mudrooms between the garage and the house where people come in and they can actually have the laundry stuff right there and wash up right there and then come into the house and the front door becomes almost ceremonial and vestigial. I think that front entrance halls have to become essentially more like mudrooms, that your guests have to be able to come in and know that they can wash their hands properly, uh, get cleaned up, and you have to feel when they've come in that they've gone through this transition. I think people are going to be seriously thinking that the open plan that's been in the vogue for so many years, the open plan is going to die because of this, because we've got many more multi-generational homes. We're not going to be wanting to put our parents in seniors' homes. Our kids may not have jobs, and they're going to be at home longer. So you're going to have all of these people spending more time in their home, and so you're going to want to, I think, break it up into smaller spaces. And of course, the home office is going to become much more important than it ever was. And it's even going to evolve. We've been designing them incorrectly all these years. Really, what the home office has to be now is like a Zoom room, a home studio that's basically got soundproofing, a green wall behind you, decent lighting, because we're doing more and more of that than just sitting at desks working. No, that's great. And when you start to talk about multi-generational living and wellness and designing kitchens and bathrooms for that concept, is there anything you would add that might be little tidbits of thoughts that you're like, take these into account? And you know, when you talked about open plans going away, every designer just went, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but you know, they still, I have this constant argument about open kitchens and everybody says, oh, I like my kid doing his homework right here on the island while I'm in the kitchen. And I think, and where have your kid's hands been? And here you are in what should be a really clean, functional workspace where you're making food that is healthy and you've got like dirty books all over the counter. And, you know, it's really the separate kitchen I know is still seriously out of vogue, but the closed kitchen I think makes a lot more sense. How many places have you been in where because it's an open kitchen, they carry wood floors through the space into the kitchen? And I think I can't think of a worse floor to have other than carpet in my kitchen. And so I really think we have to start rethinking all of these separations. No, that makes sense. And it, it's it's like everyone just saw Demi Moore's bathroom with the carpet in it and was appalled. I think it just <laughs> never got remodeled. But like when you start to look at those concepts, like it's almost like we're all scared to do that, that black light, UV light test of what germs are really in your space. We We talk about it with hotel rooms but we don't talk about it with our kitchens and our living rooms. Right. And, you know, if are people going outside and people are going to school and to work and things like that, they're coming home and you've basically got to go through that transition. But I also, I also got away from your question, which was how we deal with the whole multi-generational thing and all the number of people that are in houses. I think the key point is flexibility, that if you look at a room, this isn't just a bedroom, this might be an office, this might be an exercise room, this might be uh, 
a nursing room when my mother is still here and really sick and I don't want to put her in an old folks home. So we're going to have to start thinking about different ways people get into their houses. Should that flex room have a separate door to the outside so that I can meet clients or that a caregiver can visit without coming through the whole house? I'm going to think about sort of these almost like apartments within houses so that they can stay there and not be down your neck the entire time. This is going to be this kind of flexible planning where things can serve all these different functions is going to become much more important. The other thing about aging is, you know, the everybody thinks, oh God, aging in place, that means we all have to live on one floor because we're going to have to roll around in wheelchairs. Well, the proportion of people who actually roll around in wheelchairs is really, really small. And it happens really late, unless they've got, of course, some other disability, but just from the general course of normal people aging. Um, and we can't all live in big suburban bungalows and drive between them because it's the driving instead of walking that's actually makes us sick in the first place. We need exercise. I have a neighbor in his 90s, a few doors down, and every time I um, go to say, can I help you with that garbage can? Because he's got about 20 stairs up to the front door. And he said, nope, my parents grew up on Spain and lived to 100 because they had to climb up the hill every day to get to their house. And he insists on carrying his garbage like that himself. So I think that we have to not say, oh, we're designing everybody for the simplest, but just designing with enough room that we can get around sort of not all narrow, narrow corridors and narrow, narrow doors. And the one bee in my bonnet, my whole biggest preoccupation are these stupid freestanding bathtubs that everybody's buying now. You know, the manufacturers figured out how to make this really thin wall of a tub. So they make all these bowls with the really thin wall and they're not often not near a wall and you have to look at this thing how do people actually when they get older get into a tub they actually sit in the ledge and they swing their legs over and here we're designing tubs with no ledge then how do people when they get a little older get out well they need a hand a handrail, a bar to grab and these things aren't near walls that you can put a bar on they're actually i think death traps. And yet, if you go to every single showroom, this is what everybody is selling as a bathtub now. And I think that it's particularly in these times, totally crazy, because we're not going to want to leave our houses. I love hearing you get passionate about a subject. And I think it's great because it's these conversations that about like allow our industry to evolve and um, these podcasts that let our listeners start to just look at things from fresh perspectives. So then, Lloyd, I have a question for you. So as people are evolving and changing their mindset towards designing for wellness, what are what is your advice in terms of building your team of contractors or approaching the remodel or new construction concept with this pandemic in mind? Is there anything that pops in your head that you'd go, ooh, you might want to keep this in mind or this type of contractor or architect will be great for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was just thinking about this issue this morning, that we're really getting into an, an era where obviously climate change is a very big issue, but health and comfort are obviously important too. And what we find now is that 
if you go to a mechanical engineer, or, I mean, if you go to a furnace contractor, because most people don't go to engineers and say, I need a furnace. Okay, they figure out the size of the furnace, and they give you a furnace, and they oversize it just to be safe. And what you've got is a piece of equipment that on its own doesn't do that good a job because it isn't designed really as one part with the house itself. So one room might be cold and one room might be warm and you never get it even. And then you start buying electronic doodads to put like special vents to control it. We have to get away from this mindset that you just go to all of these contractors to throw stuff at a house. I'm very fond of the concept called the passive house out of Germany. And in a passive house, you have lots and lots of insulation and you have triple glazed windows so that the walls are basically the temperature of the interior air. So you never get condensation on them. You can get humidity in the winter up to comfortable levels, and you barely need a furnace at all. And what that means, what they have also is continuous fresh air. They don't recirculate any air. So what I would say that the first thing that anyone should do is, even if you don't build to passive house level, which can be a little more, a lot more expensive depending on where you are, at least learn about it, perhaps talk to a passive house consultant and get the general principles in. If you build a house with really good insulation and then it's really comfortable and has fresh air all the time, it's generally going to be a healthier house. You'll get no mold, you'll get a lot more fresh air, and you'll be more comfortable. And that's what you want to be if you're spending all day in it. No, exactly. And you bring up a good point about resources. Are there any other resources that you're like, okay, you know, I'll I'll be your teacher for this podcast. I'd like you to do your homework and look up these books or blogs or whatever. What would you suggest might be small moments of enlightenment for people? You mean outside resources, things they can look at? Yeah. Places to go? Well, yep. the one thing or, that or I Or even up- books to read. Sorry, I get all excited. Or even just books to read. Anything that you're like, you mentioned the passive house, anything's like that, that people go, oh, I hear you, Lloyd. I'll do that homework. Well, I would say that the biggest change that's happened since I started looking at sustainable design, say 15 years ago, is then everything was all about energy. But what we're getting now is we're getting sort of a convergence of energy, health, and comfort, that people found that the energy-efficient houses properly designed were more comfortable. And they started worrying, well, if I seal this house up really tightly and make it really energy-efficient, I have to worry about the chemicals and the materials that go into it. I don't want those VOCs. I don't want horrible cleaning compounds. I want the air to be better. And so everything's sort of come together. That's why in the commercial world, you've got the well building standard, which basically comes out on top of the lead building standard, which was about energy efficiency. Um, Well hasn't come down to the residential level yet. It will, but the principles are all there. The principles of being careful materials, careful lighting, um, careful uh, choice of everything that you bring into the house right down to what you put in your fridge. It's a much larger holistic picture. So I definitely 
you know, look at the well system, which is for free. You can look at it and all the components that are important to them and think about how those, all of those components are important to me in my home. I actually had all my students spend a year trying to write a sort of well standard for houses. And it was a really interesting project because we started looking at, again, from the things, what paints do you choose to, where do we have natural light, how much fresh air do we want, and where do we have windows, and things like that. So it's a good place to start. I really have become fond of websites like Building Green, which is all one word, and Green Building Advisor, another website. They're both cheap subscription websites, but they're worth every penny. And of course, I'll always make a pitch for Treehugger, where I write about this stuff every day. I was waiting for you to pitch yours. I thought, if not, I was going to pitch it for you, Lloyd. So my, I want to end on a a final question. I was just going to say that a lot of people are put off by Treehugger because its name was picked to be sort of cute and ironic. It was a play at the time. The owner said, you know, we're not hippies. We're not in Birkenstocks and ponchos, but picked the name to be ironic. And it actually scares a lot of people away because they think, oh, it's just a bunch of hippies. But it isn't a bunch of hippies. It's a bunch of people who know what they're talking about uh, with a silly name. And so I do want to say, don't be scared off by that. Have a look. Well, and Lloyd, I laugh because, you know, the, everyone jokes that it was the hippies a long time ago that started talking eco-friendly. But who has the last laugh now when all of these moments matter and now it's leaning more towards even a medical kind of perspective on things? My My last question for you is, how, what advice would you give a professional if when they're pitching these concepts of wellness and um, smart design from a microbial concept and, and lifestyle improvement medically, and their client says, well, I don't want to spend more. Is that going to cost me more to do that? What kind of answer would you say, oh, if you pitch it to your client from this perspective, it'll be an easier way to help them understand why they have no choice but to go that route. Well, for one thing, I think there's there's a phrase that a friend of mine uses that he calls sort of radical simplicity, that one of the reasons buildings cost so much is that we make them so much more complicated that they have to be, that, you know, the the, uh, the elevations have all these pushes and pulls and gables, and then they just start, oh, we need more fresh air, we'll add more fan here, or we'll add more there, we'll add more there. And what he taught me was that, you know, if you start with it simple and straightforward, and you say, okay, we're going to build really, really high quality walls with really high quality windows, that which won't leak at all, and we're going to seal it really tightly, you know, you can save a lot of money on the furnace that way. In fact, you can just get by probably with a tiny little heat pump uh, that does both the heating and cooling. You know, if we don't say you need eight bathrooms, but we're going to give you like two that are really spectacular and meet all these criteria, then, you know, it can be nicer. So much of it comes from starting with the premise and then adding stuff to it. When I really think you have to start with the 
premise that you're going to take things away and just get down to the essentials. And what they've found when people design buildings like this, particularly the Passive House, which you know, you've got these much more expensive windows, is that it's just a few percent more to do it right. And, you know, a polished concrete floor is going to be just as healthy as a marble floor and going to be a lot cheaper. There are so many choices that we can make that are naturally healthier, but they don't cost any more. It used to make me insane when I was in the development business that if you had your list of options and one could be, I'm going to give you your own heat recovery ventilator, so you're going to have constant fresh air. And the other one is you can have granite countertops. Everybody went for the granite countertops. Nobody was willing to pay for health, but they were always willing to pay for granite. And you know, if someone is in that mindset, it's really, really hard. But I think more and more people have been reading enough and learning enough that they might actually rather now pay for health rather than granite. Well, I feel like that is a great ending note, honestly, and it's been lovely chatting with you. Is there anything that I didn't touch on that you want to make sure our listeners hear about? Um, Let's see. There were one or two things that I really did. There's one point that I wanted to make that um, when we were, the very first question was discussing about rethinking and reevaluating what's important in the home. And um, that is, is that we've got to think more, less about the stuff that goes into the house and more about the actual planning, like we said, about how we're going to adapt the houses for flexibility for the, you know, the sandwich generation of so many people are in where you've got your kids and your parents there and you're like the filling of a sandwich. At one point, I was joking that soon we were going to have the club sandwich generation, you know, where we got our grandchildren in the house too. So we've got to really change our focus of thinking to be flexible about everything and resilient about everything, which is a word you used, but we haven't discussed that, you know, with the change of climate, with the change of everything around us, the changes we have to make in the way we get our electricity, the storms and that is that building a house better, building a house with uh, thicker walls and better windows and better quality on that makes it more resilient in terms of changing climate. Uh, In some of these passive houses, if the power goes out in the middle of winter in a state of Maine, they'll go seven days without having to worry about it getting cold because they just hold the heat so well. And, And in the South, they keep the heat out so well. So it's getting to the point where a house just isn't a roof over your head. It's really more of a lifeboat that we have to think about keeping out the bugs and keeping in the heat and feeling safe and comfortable in it. And that I think has been missing for a number of years. Lloyd, that's fabulous. And honestly, I think the thing that I like to remind professionals is it's okay if you don't know it all. And it's all about building your team of professionals that make you look good. Is there anyone where you'd say if you're trying to design and build towards this wellness and sustainability, uh, think about having a person on your team who does fill in the blank? I'm constantly impressed at how uh, the interior design community is picking up on some of these things so well. And I think that we have to involve them a lot more. I think that 
again, as I said, a consultant, someone on your team who understands this stuff about passive house, even if you don't do it, who understands it, who gets it, is really, really critical. And again, there are lots of resources online to look at that. And to me, that's probably the most important one. No, you're an absolute delight, and I had fun. I hope I get a C plus for my interview, or I'll, <laughs> I'll aim for a B minus, Lloyd. But thank you so much for being here, and we just really appreciate all of your advice. It was fun. Thank you. Well, everyone else will have new episodes of KB Talks coming your way soon, so make sure you are subscribed and stay tuned. Please be sure to send your feedback to nkba at flyingcamel.com. And remember to take a moment to leave us a star rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned for a quick NKBA Minute. Brave New Business is a video forum developed to support and serve our community of kitchen and bath professionals. Each episode brings together the brightest minds, the change makers, and the problem solvers to interpret the information and offer insight about what we all need to know right now, from market analysis to virtual tools. Make sure you're following us on social media, at the NKBA, for information on how to register and never miss an episode. Brought to you by the NKBA, KBIS, and KBB Magazine. <laughs>